Welcome to the Plus Podcast with Midwest Direct, a marketing and communications company focused on helping marketers develop engaging messages and interpret the results. We deliver over 2 million messages every day that land in mailboxes, inboxes, and show up in online advertising. When your campaign is over, we help our marketers understand their results and plan for future campaigns. We recorded these podcasts to support clients in all the avenues in marketing that you have to execute every day. Subscribe to our series now. I'm Michelle Toivonen, Director of Strategic Marketing at Midwest Direct, and today we're here with David Rosendahl, President of Mindfire. I met David recently at a marketing convention where he spoke on content, getting the context and the intent correct, and mastering distribution across many channels. During that presentation, David encouraged us to use podcasting, and I connected with him after his presentation to share a bit about our own experience. As many of you know, we've done podcasting for a short time, but already have had good click-through and listen rates. Although we've had surprising results through our own podcast efforts here at the Plus Podcast, with over 700 listens to date, we're always open to learning more from the experts. As president and co-founder of his company, David and his team have served companies such as BMW, Microsoft, Harvard, Facebook, and 15,000 other companies. Under David's guidance, the company powers an innovative platform that combines direct mail, email, social, SMX texting, and other channels to create more leads and sales for clients. So we thought we could learn a little something from him, and we wanted to share that with you as well. We invited David to join us today to talk about the level of content that marketers should plan for and distribute to be relevant in today's environment. David, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be able to speak to you and to your uh, audience today. Well, we are thrilled to have you and we really appreciate you taking a little time out. Um, We know you're very busy and we know you do a lot of content marketing. We know you are working pretty much around the clock. Um, (laughs) Yep. Yep. So if you don't mind, um, I'm just going to pick your brain about some of the things that I know to be relevant to our audience and probably yours as well. Um, could you just start out with a little bit of how did you, David, become a cross-channel marketing guru? Yeah, sure. Think It actually made me think. I had to think back to where it, it all started. Um, and if, if, I, if I put myself back in the shoes of... You know, the, the, the guy starting Mindfire with a couple of other folks and why it kind of became such a thing for us. It really had to do with, for me, a passion around kind of where the intersection of marketing and technology kind of come together. And ever since I was fairly young in the industry, I was kind of enamored by this whole idea of being able to personalize content on the web at scale the idea that, that you and I could go to the same place online but see different content um, just for whatever reason really excited me. And um, that always was kind of a theme that I explored in the different products that we worked on um, or even when I was working at other companies. And so fast forward to when we started Mindfire, um, about a year or a year and a half into our journey here, 
we actually came across an agency that needed us to help them kind of marry direct mail with the web in a way that uh, very few were doing at that time. And so what we created, and you're probably familiar with this term and maybe your audience has heard it as well, we were, we were the first that, that kind of came up with this idea of a personalized URL, meaning a URL that you could print on a direct mail piece, a physical mailing um, uh, mailed piece, so mm -hmm. that the recipient of that could take that and then go online and uh, follow up on that piece. And so really that's where this whole cross-channel marketing initiative started, figuring out how to marry offline to online. And that just, that just for us tapped into this big need that marketers have that are doing offline marketing like print um, to be able to create a trackable experience, a measurable experience, and then also leverage the power of the web along with that. And so that's really where it all kind of started. Wow, that's fascinating. I don't know that I knew that I was speaking to the conceptor of the pearl. I have created many, many, many of those yeah. in, in my time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and put them on content to try and help people, you know, get from print onto the web, which is really great and have their own custom experience. So that's fascinating. Um, I know that you have moved down the road a long way from that now and you're doing a lot of your own B2B omni-channel marketing. Can you fill us in a little bit more about how you got to develop that and what the, some of the best channel mixes are for B2B? Yeah, so that's a good question because we're actually in the midst of kind of creating a category, a new category um, that we find is really needed by B2B marketers. So not only just us here at MindFires, we've gotten over customers, but also folks like you and I'm sure many of the listeners. And that, that category that we're creating is called OptiChannel. And um, so in contrast to multi-channel, cross-channel, and all the other uh, channel uh, you know, names that are out there, the reason why we are uh, creating this OptiChannel category is because you know, and I think you kind of hinted at it in your question, success today is really predicated on finding the right channel for each person, the optimal channel for you, which might be different than it is for me, and it might vary throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. And so creating marketing that engages you as an individual across the optimal channel for you um, and doing that at scale is really a hard problem. And mm -hmm. so that's what that that's what we put our time and energy into um, as you know a software company is we're trying to figure out how to always make that process easier, and we eat our own dog food. So that's how we run our own marketing. Um, a lot of it is happening right now on LinkedIn, which we, we'd be happy to talk more about that. Um, my view of the way marketing works is that we should never become too married to one channel. Um, as an example, if mm -hmm. I were a diehard email person and, you know, said for the next 100 years, my company is going to run off of email marketing, well, then when consumer attention goes somewhere else, I'm going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And so I feel my, my word of caution to all marketers is, you know, don't get too married to one channel at your detriment, because if you're too focused on one, you may lose uh, sight of where customer attention is actually going, where consumers are actually paying attention, and that's all that matters where are they dialed in right now? And so the point um, to all that is in a B2B environment, um, LinkedIn is where there is a, a veritable gold rush of attention, um, hugely underpriced, 
um, just an enormous uh, amount of opportunity. I really can't overstate how big an opportunity there is on LinkedIn. So from a B2B perspective, if you ask what are we doing in that realm, a lot of it right now has to do with LinkedIn, supported by email, supported by, uh, of course, print. Uh, we use trade shows, uh, a lot of the traditional channels like Google, uh, pay-per-click, certainly in there. Facebook's a big thing for us as well. Um, but LinkedIn has really risen to the top over the past uh, uh, 12 to 18 months or so. That's an interesting view. I know that in our own department, we have really focused on LinkedIn. That's one of the best social media channels for us by far. Also, it performs well consistently. Um, and we find a lot of new people showing up in there on a regular basis. So, yeah, we agree yeah. with you. Um, you know, I, I also I'd, I'd like to see what your opinion is on this. Um, you mentioned that Opti channel is very important and that people who aren't really learning to do that will get sort of further and further behind not to stay focused on one channel. Um, I always caution people to um, never be afraid to try a channel because you can be really surprised by the results. Uh, we get it, I mean, in our own marketing department. we The surefire way to find something that's going to perform well is for us to think, oh, it probably won't perform very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time, every time. You know, and, and basically source attribution has become a big part of that. So I'm just wondering if you... If you and your company have been surprised by any channels in particular, or if you've had you know results that you weren't expecting at, at any point, yeah, oh my gosh, all the time. And you know, for us, the joke is more around mistakes that we make, similar to what you say, and that you know, whenever you think something's not going to work, it ends up working. For us, it's like, oh shoot, somebody made a mistake in a in a LinkedIn post, or I made a mistake in an email, or something went out with the wrong information in it. And inevitably, those are the ones that really work. And I don't know why that is. It's some sort of weird cosmic law or something. But inevitably, that's where you learn, ah, I guess that was actually kind of an engaging thing that people uh, were attracted to or for whatever reason it caught someone's eye. So there have been many examples like that where we've made mistakes in a certain channel, whether that be – I can think of an email example recently where um, – you know, you can either look at it as like, oh, my gosh, we screwed up, or, huh, how could I use that and get more engagement out of that and actually start to, um, you know, start to, to work with my audience in a way that maybe I hadn't considered before I made this mistake. So that's hmm. one thing. Yeah, the, the other that's really interesting for us is that we test, often we will test um, our company brand, so let's say MindFire, as the brand behind uh, some sort of social post or paid ad against my personal brand, meaning my name, Dave Rosendahl, um, mm -hmm. as the entity behind the ad. And mm -hmm. so initially what we thought is that, well, people are going to resonate with the company more. There's more brand recognition with the logo. You know, we've been around for a while. And, well, certainly the company should do better than just some, you know, perhaps seemingly random guy on the Internet. But – more often than not, we're very surprised by the results, meaning that the personal brand, so Dave Rosendahl, will outperform in terms of click-throughs, in terms of engagement, in terms of leads, conversions, um, things like that, will outperform the company brand um, by a statistically significant margin. So what it has told us or what we've inferred from that is that even in a B2B scenario, 
you and I prefer to interact and engage with people perhaps mm-hmm. more than we do with brands, with companies, and you need to humanize your brand with a person. So that's another example that comes to mind where we were like, well, you know what, let's just try it. Let's just see what happens. And we were surprised by the results. Wow. So this is probably a pretty old adage at this point, but people buy from people. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the end, uh, as, as long as the brand has a good hit, um, a good reputation, we are really more invested in our own connections than I think any business per se. Um, so I guess, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not necessarily intuitive in a B2B environment. So I'm really interested to hear that you're actually finding that statistically to be true. It's definitely true. And let me add one more thing there that you just reminded me. It's also true uh, that many people, many B2B marketers feel and maybe you maybe you see this differently, or maybe you hear differently from your from your constituents. But most B two B marketers that we work with believe that Facebook is for B two C um, type of uh, commerce, and that B two B happens only on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that we generate tens of thousands of leads on Facebook um, in a B two B manner. So this notion that B2B doesn't happen on Facebook is completely false. It's another thing that we have found most people think it doesn't happen or can't be done. By gosh, it's not true at all. Facebook, from a B2B perspective, is uh, definitely a viable uh, solution. Thus, OptiChannel, correct? Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> and uh, just one more thing on that that answer that you gave, backing up a little bit to the sometimes mistakes get the best attention. Um, I'll try and put a link below for our listeners, but um, there's actually a study out that ugly art or art that's not quite right actually outperforms perfectly symmetrical art. So we'll, we'll see if we, yeah, we'll see if we can pull that up and put that in for our listeners. You spend hours getting your marketing campaign ready for multiple channels like email, online display ads, social media ads for Facebook and Instagram, even mail. List management is insane because you have email addresses for some, mailing addresses for others, and how the heck will you ever know who's engaging with your brand in social media? We know how to wrap all those channels up into one dashboard so you can deploy to all your channels at once. Then track response rates in real time and learn who is responding to you and in what channel they engaged with you. Contact us today to learn more about how your next campaign can be your most powerful one. I'd like to shift gears a little bit. I'd actually like to um, put you in the time machine and have you go back to Um, the um, presentation you gave that I was actually in attendance for, you spoke a lot about marketers need to focus on content, context, and intent. And I thought it was really dead on. And I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about your practical insights into how nearly everyone can achieve what they want to do by doing the unconventional, which is creating content. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's a, it's an interesting model, and it's one that that you know at first may not make sense until you kind of think about how consumers, um, whether that be B two B or B two C, 
engaged today with, with information. And so in a nutshell, the thesis of, of what I argued at the, at the uh, event that you're, you're uh, referring to is that whether you're in B2B, uh, B2C, um, trying to win an election, um, you know, running for mayor, whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you want to get, the fastest way for you to get there is by producing content at scale and doing mm-hmm. it in a way where it is contextualized. This is really important because a lot of people miss this, but contextualized to the channel. So when we're talking about opti-channel, what that means is that you can't just take what you post on LinkedIn and mm-hmm. send it in an email, or you can't mm-hmm. take what you put in an email and put it on a direct mail piece. You need to contextualize your content in a way that is appropriate to that particular channel because they're all a little bit different. Um, so, so, so that's the first idea. And then the second idea is that if you're talking about email, if you're talking about YouTube, if you're talking about LinkedIn, Facebook, these social channels, what you need to do is you need to figure out how you best communicate. Um, this, this is for you as an organization or for you as an individual. You need to figure out if your organization or if you as a person are better at writing, you know, like blog posts, LinkedIn articles, things like that. Uh, doing audio like this podcast that we're on right now, maybe that's your sweet spot, or it could be video. And what I argue is you need to find kind of where your natural strength lies in, in communicating and then commit to using that uh, modality as the way of articulating your message. So we kind of have a three-piece framework that all kind of starts with that around understanding that, first of all, whatever you want to achieve, you're going to achieve by putting significant value out into the world through content and you're going to do that by contextualizing that content to the channel, and you're going to do it by arriving at a modality that's best for you, that's comfortable for you, so you can get your message out at scale. So I think that you, you hit it on the head. I, I think when I'm working with clients, one of the things that they run into, the wall they run into is that contextualizing. They struggle to know how to contextualize it on scale, and they also struggle with the keeping up with it because that's a two branch problem, right? You, you're creating a lot of content, then you're contextualizing the, a lot of content and you need to do it on a really regular basis for it to actually have an impact. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what is your concept when you say on scale, what do you mean on scale and on timelines? What's, what do you think is a good recommendation? My goodness, yeah. So, so everything I'm describing to you is is certainly not rocket science, uh, meaning that you know you don't need some fancy degree or, or pedigree to be able to do this. But by no means is it necessarily easy. Even once you know what to do, it takes time, it takes commitment, just like anything. And it's a new muscle that you need to you need to build up. You need to um, apply. And so when I say when I talk about creating content at scale and um, publishing on a frequent basis, I'm talking about every day um, publishing content, and that doesn't necessarily mean writing a 2,000 uh, word uh, blog post or a 500 word LinkedIn article, or um, you know sending out a new email every day. It doesn't necessarily only mean that. It also means engaging with people, your target audience where they're hanging out on LinkedIn, let's say. So one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, publishing a post on LinkedIn is just one piece of what you need to be doing. In addition to posting that um, piece of content, 
You also need to be going out and engaging with other, with other pieces of content, with other people, dropping comments, engaging with them. After all, it's called social media for a reason. So when I talk about doing this at scale, I mean not only putting out the content, whether that be video, words, podcasts like this, but also every day committing to engaging with folks that are in your market or in your, or in your sphere of influence uh, to begin to build up that, that social equity. Because what happens after you plant those seeds, and I know it sounds far-fetched if you've never done it, if this is new to you as you're listening to this, but what happens, men and women, is as you start to do that, over time it accrues like interest and it begins to, to pay you back. And, and tangibly the way that looks is people start coming to you saying, hey, I just saw your post. Actually made me wonder, can you do X, Y, Z? And those kinds of conversations start to occur from what you're putting out there. And uh, so that's, that's what I mean by creating content at scale. That's what I mean by committing to it daily. Um, and if you're asking for an actual measure, you know, I looked at some of our stats recently. We're somewhere around 100 pieces of content a day. Now, that doesn't mean that that's 100 blog posts. That includes comments and replies and engagements to other pieces of content that are out there um, across the, the social networks. A hundred pieces of content. I mean, it sounds overwhelming, but I just look at my teenagers and I think that they're at about 500 pieces of content a day. So I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to believe it can be done. It can be done just fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it could certainly be scary for somebody to hear, oh my gosh, they're saying a hundred <laughs> pieces of content a day. But in, in the context of what you just described, a reply to a text <laughs> message or you know, a direct message like that, consider that content as well. So if you're replying on, a, on someone else's post, you know, take the time to write more than just a word or two. You know, give something mm -hmm. of value, give a little piece of value, uh, and that's what I'm including, that's what we're including in, in those 100 pieces a day. And I, lo I love that you just added in that give something of value because, after all, it's, it's, it is about giving as much as you're getting online oh, yeah. and being focused on, you know, helping somebody – not selling, but helping, you know, offering an answer, offering a solution. Yeah. If I may, I, I just want to take us down a quick uh, real life example. If somebody's trying to just like, I, I recall when we first started all this, we were like, really, is it true? Does this stuff really happen? How does it mm -hmm. actually play out? Let me just mm -hmm. give you a small example if I could. Is that all right? Sure. So, so last week, as an example, and this happens all of the time, um, I posted, I'm trying to remember the exact report, I posted on LinkedIn a report that I knew would be of interest to our target audience. Now what's cool about this is this is content that we didn't create. Uh, we partnered with another organization to distribute their asset. So if somebody's listening to this podcast thinking, shoot, I don't have these great reports that I'll be putting out or it's going to take time and money, I challenge you to think about who else in the industry would love for you to promote their content because you might find a partner who's willing to say, yeah, I've got great content, why don't you share it? People are always mm -hmm. looking for ways to get their content out. So that's the first thought I just wanna share with you. But I put the content out there and inevitably what happens is there's a rush of people who go to grab that content. They download it, et cetera, they do that on their own. But if you look at most LinkedIn posts, and I'm talking specifically about LinkedIn right now, you'll see that other people like or engage with the post. They'll press the thumbs up, a little light bulb, the heart, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And 99% of people who are publishing content don't do anything with those people that are engaging there. But what we do is actually a way you can pull up that list of who those people are, 
What we do is we go in, and if we're not connected with that person, we'll connect with them, and we'll send them a little message that says, hey, thanks for liking our post about XYZ. Curious, what caught your eye about that? That simple little question, uh, exactly a week ago today, you know, turned into somebody saying, hey, um, what caught my eye? Was, I'd really like to have that report. Could you send it to me? So we yeah. sent it to them. No, no, no questions asked. You know, they didn't go fill anything out. We just sent it right there through LinkedIn Messenger. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, that same person came back and said, you know, I love what you sent me. I'd love to talk to you about getting your software um, set up, and I'd like to do that this week. I'd like to get it set up this week. That was a $15,000 opportunity that just came in from a very simple interaction with somebody who engaged with a post. So when I, when I tell you, men and women who are listening, that this stuff generates business, it turns into real dollars and cents, that's a little example right there of how it happens. And this stuff happens all the time. Um, so hopefully that's helpful to the, to the listeners to kind of put this into real-world uh, terms. Well, thanks for sharing that. It is, I mean, we all struggle on the marketing side uh, with source attribution and trying to tie back in our own data and metrics, you know, where did the sale happen? And that's the perfect example of plenty of times the sale actually happened. Uh, You have a, you, you may have closed the business, but the sale happened by just being good and responsive to somebody on social media, right? Yep. 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 That's fascinating. Thank you for that one. We we appreciate it a lot. And and we work pretty hard on LinkedIn. So I, I will back you up with that, that there's a lot of um, just interest and in business and people really are watching there. Absolutely. Yeah, so true. I can't, uh, I really can't impress enough upon the listener that now is the time to strike there. You know, even though LinkedIn is what, almost 20 years old, it's almost like it's going through a a resurgence right now, um, and it's just exploding in terms of its value to to us as as marketers and salespeople, business owners, entrepreneurs, etc. You spend hours getting your marketing campaign ready from multiple channels like email, online display ads, social media ads for Facebook and Instagram, even mail. List management is insane because you have email addresses for some, mailing addresses for others, and how the heck will you ever know who's engaging with your brand in social media? Did you know that you can wrap all of that together in one campaign, drop it onto your own private dashboard, deploy and track from one screen? You can even track all your response rates there. Most importantly, you can capture the people who come to your website and advertise to them not only with retargeting ads, but in their social media accounts and through mail directly to their home. When you're done with your campaign, you'll have the opportunity to round out your list with information like names, addresses, and social media profiles of your website visitors, who responded to your campaign and in what channel, and what you need to do for your next campaign. This is a powerful new way for marketers to reach customers and prospects across the board without the hours of managing multiple lists and channels. Contact us today and ask how Digital Plus Post can help you make your next campaign your most powerful one.
as a company, we do a fair amount of work with retail companies. And because of that, there's a lot of catalog work. And um, I know that you've got some opinions around um, companies like Nordstrom and J. Jill, who made a strategic error, essentially. Um, now, this has been about a year ago, but those companies decided to eliminate their print catalog and pretty quickly found that their sales had changed, that it had made a direct impact and not for the better on sales. And I'm just wondering if you could share some of your insights on that. Yeah, you know, so I'm kind of a geek, like I said. I love marketing and technology, and I love learning kind of what's going on in the industry. So one of the geeky things I do is from time to time, I'll just I'll dial into one of the uh, earnings calls that uh, these publicly held companies will do once a quarter and just see what what they're seeing and what they're hearing, what they're learning. And so you referenced two such calls that I happened to listen in on. The first was uh, with Nordstrom. And as you alluded to, the, 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 they came out pretty early in that call and said, look, we're slashing our forecast for sales and profit because we had a weaker quarter. And, you know, I wasn't too surprised by that. But the reason why uh, Eric Nordstrom, in this case, said they had these these less than uh, expected results was because, uh, in part, they had d decided to stop using direct mail to reach their customers for a, a loyalty program that they had. Mm -hmm. And so he went on to say, you know, that they kind of learned this after the fact that uh, they put too much of their of their investment of their marketing into digital first, eliminating the paper, eliminating the catalogs, eliminating the print, only to discover. <laughs> that a segment of their customer base really relies on getting those notes, getting those um, catalogs and mailers in the mail. And uh, so, so they, they realized that a little too late. They realized that all of a sudden, you know, foot traffic was, was reduced, sales were down, and they, you know, uncovered the fact that customers are still looking for this stuff to come in through the mail. So that's what I learned from Nordstrom. Hmm. Yeah, it you know, a little bit of a dovetail onto that. We have a department that works with several um, national retailers on the data and analytics on that sort of thing, where, you know, a lot of retailers don't have in-house data teams that can really pull the data across multiple siloed databases and do the back-end analysis it takes to realize, yeah, this segment actually really needs print because that's where they show up every time. And I'm just going to circle back to your opti-channel concept here and say that that is exactly what I think you mean by that, right? That there's specifically people who show up in some channels, maybe they're in multiple channels all over, but they're really going to respond to this particular one. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about it for us as marketers, for you as a service provider, as an example, for us as a technology company, is that at least for the next 100 years, uh, from my perspective at least, companies are going to need to engage people in order to be able to offer them products and services. The only thing that's going to be changing is how they get that message to those people. And so as long as you, the listener, um, you know, are in marketing or sales or running a company where you need to have customers, you're going to need to learn how to get to them. And that's where we spend all of our time looking at new and emerging channels. I know at the event that, that uh, you and I last saw each other at, we talked about TikTok, you know, which is another mm -hmm. emerging channel. All sorts of things are popping up every single day. And as you uh, rightfully, I would argue, uh, stated, you know, you need to understand where your customers are, where they're paying attention, mm -hmm. 
and mm-hmm. it may not be the same thing that's true for you that's true for me, but you have to figure it out for your organization and for, and for your customers and, and prospects. That's, that's it. Every company's got different results, and, and we can't just globalize it just like we can't globalize our consumers, right? Yep, yep. Well, David, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we really appreciate it. I think we all, I know I did, and I think our listeners probably gained a lot of information. I know I'll continue to watch your blogs and your podcasts. I really enjoy listening in. Thank you. Awesome. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And folks, if you want to find out more, if you want to connect, I'm sure you can find the details in the show notes down below. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, so you can find me there. Uh, David Rosendahl on LinkedIn and uh, would be happy to connect with you there. Great. And we will take uh, your links and post them in the notes below so that people can easily connect with you. Awesome. Thank you, David. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a good rest of the day, everyone. Achieve all your marketing goals with Midwest Direct. Contact us at mw-direct.com or call us at 1-800-686-6666 and get started today. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel now. You don't want to miss any of our fun upcoming announcements.